Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about a topic that actually a lot of people had requested, and I couldn't believe that I hadn't talked about it before. We're going to be discussing sensory motor OCD. It is a form, a subtype of OCD that is misunderstood, is often missed, and is not well explained. So we're going to get into what sensory motor OCD is and what do you do about it? What are some approaches to take at home? What are some common exposures that people do with sensory motor OCD? So before we begin, though, I'd like to give you an update on what is going on in the AT parenting survival world. I am currently busy working on my sleep course that is coming out hopefully within the next month. So if you have a child that is having a hard time with sleep and you're looking for some quick, easy, digestible ways to help, my online video course should hopefully help with that. But I wanted to give you a gift so that we can get people thinking about sleep. If you have a child who has some sleep struggles and you are wondering why are they having these sleep fears, going and figuring out the core fear of any issue is where I start with everything I talk about. And so I have created a free PDF of the most common reasons why kids are scared to sleep that I see. And so there's 15 of some of the most common reasons kids are scared to sleep. If you want to get that free copy of the PDF, you can text 44222 and just text me sleep fears, all one word, sleep fears, and I'll send it over to you. So let me know. Tell me if you see anything on the list. You can find me at Instagram and you can DM me over there. I also do videos over there and am pretty active. So that's a great place to find me. So let's get into what's going on with sensory motor OCD. So for starters, let's go into what it is and what it can impact. So sensory motor OCD basically is when a person hyper focuses on a bodily function that is normally automatically happening, such as breathing, blinking, swallowing, peeing, pooping, their heart beating, the location of their tongue. It can literally be anything that is something that is on their body that they are hyper-focusing on. The most common ones tend to be breathing, blinking, swallowing, and the heartbeat, but there are other ones too, like hyper-focusing on your nose or being able to see your nose. It really could be anything. And OCD in general is really just about having an intrusive thought, feeling, or image get stuck in your brain and then feeling like you have to do or avoid something to get rid of it. And so all of these subtypes that we talk about, sensory motor OCD, harm OCD, moral OCD, we have a zillion different subtypes of OCD. That's just to give a name for the type of struggle that a person is having. But if you have sensory motor OCD, it doesn't mean that you don't have other issues around OCD that don't involve the sensory motor aspect. So I always talk to families about 
how OCD is like a buffet, (laughs) a disgusting buffet. Maybe you've heard me say this before. And so when you're at the OCD buffet, everybody who's eating at the buffet has OCD. It's just like, what's on their plate? What's their main dish? What's their side dish? And so I always like to stress that because sometimes I will get messages from people who are taking one of my online classes, or I'll see this in the AT parenting community, my online community. And people will say things like, well, do you have things just on moral OCD? Cause my child has moral OCD, or do you have things just on contamination? Cause my child just has contamination OCD. And I try to warn parents don't have that mentality because OCD is whack-a-mole. It likes to move and it likes to not be noticed. And so it will shift. So you want to be well-versed in all of OCD. And I think parents need to be experts in all of the different subtypes because I want them to understand what it is and what signs to look for. So that when your child maybe shifts and has a new subtype, a new theme, you're like, Oh my gosh, I know what that is. It's sensory motor OCD. Natasha talked about it. That's what I want. I want you to be able to catch him early because the more proactive you are in playing I spy with OCD and the more proactive you are in teaching your child how to I spy OCD, the better you're going to be able to catch things early. And the earlier you can pull out those weeds, the better the prognosis for that, that new theme or new intrusive thought or new compulsion that your child is having to do. So don't box yourself in educate yourself. And also I'm so big on educating kids directly as well. So I try to teach parents how to teach their kids or have the therapist teach both of you at the same time, what OCD is in general so that they can generalize all of their approaches. They can generalize exposures to any theme that they have, and you can pivot when your child's OCD changes themes to still do the same exact skills that you would do for any other theme. The exposures will look differently, but the the framework should be pretty much the same. So, okay, let's talk about how sensory motor OCD shows up. So I'll briefly go into how it can manifest in different things. And then we'll talk about um, different approaches to take with it. So with sensory motor OCD, a lot of times I'll see kids who have breathing issues And sometimes it will be the intrusive thought will be just the feeling of I'm focusing on my breath. What if I can't catch my breath? What if I run out of breath or what if I always notice my breath? So it will again, be different for each kid. I always say that you can have five kids with a metaphobia, the fear of throwing up, and it could be five different reasons why they're afraid of throw up. So you never want to assume that you've hit the end of the core fear, the end of the rabbit hole, as I like to call it until you really know what that core fear is. So even with sensory motor OCD, it can be different for each kid. A lot of times they'll have kind of an anxiety theme attached to it, but not always. Sometimes the fear is just that I'm noticing it. And what if I always notice it? And what if I can't stop noticing it? What if that drives me crazy? That's often the core fear. That's often the, the intrusive thought. Now, sometimes anxiety and OCD like to throw a little flare in there and give another reason as well. So I'll talk about some of the other reasons that also go along with some of these topics, but a child doesn't have to have them. So with breathing, you have things like I might stop breathing. I might die. I might have asthma. Those are some really common ones. And so a lot of times the, so those are some common intrusive thoughts 
And then some of the common compulsions are taking a deep breath, clearing your throat, carrying water around with you. Um, those are the most common ones I see. Um, sometimes people will incorporate breathing with contamination OCD, and that is very different. And so sometimes people will hold their breath because they're around someone who's contaminated or they'll have to empty their lungs out completely when they feel like they were around someone who was contaminated or they smelled something that was contaminated. That's not sensory motor OCD. That's just a compulsion involving their breath. That doesn't mean they can't have sensory motor OCD separate from that, but I just want to clarify that for those of you that have kids who have breathing issues, but it's not actually sensory motor. Okay. So I'm going to go through the most common ones and I'm just going to tell you the intrusive thoughts. And then I'm going to tell you some of the compulsions that are the most common. Now, if you can think it, if you can create it, it can be a compulsion. So there are a zillion possibilities or more, even though zillion is not really a number of compulsions that a child or a human being can have. So I'm just giving you some of the common ones just to give you a flavor of how this would look in a person. So blinking, um, I am focusing on my blinking. What if I forget to blink? What if I have to blink too much? What if something gets in my eye? And so a lot of times you'll start to get the other, other anxiety themes glummed onto it. Swallowing. Uh, what if I forget to swallow? What if I can't swallow enough? I'm just hyper-focused on swallowing. What if I keep having to hyper-focus on swallowing? All of them have a component of hyper-focusing. And so I would say in general with sensory motor OCD, the intrusive thought that tends to be accurate, like across the board is I'm so worried that I might never not focus and not notice these things. That's normally there with every theme, regardless of what sensory component we're focusing on. But then each each one has a little bit of its own flavor and style. So with swallowing, so it's the hyper-focusing of swallowing. Should I swallow now? Should I swallow later? When will I swallow again? Should I keep swallowing? Now, that's also not to be confused with swallowing related to contamination. So there are people who, when they see something gross or when they smell something gross or they see someone who's contaminated or they think something that's contaminated they don't want to swallow. So that is not sensory motor OCD in and of itself. That is a compulsion that just happens to be related to swallowing and spit, which actually is a very common compulsion that I see with a lot of kids with contamination issues, with moral OCD, that the spit is somehow contaminated as well. So if you see your child saying, I have a hard time swallowing, you want to rule out all of those other things as well. And it could be both. And when we uh, put a little bit of the cherry on top for swallowing, we add fears like, what if I choke? Um, That's a common one. What if something gets stuck in my throat? What if I can't swallow? There's all sorts of renditions of that. And so the compulsions that you'll find with swallowing will be uh, obsessively chewing their food until it's super, super tiny. You can have people who will spit because they can't swallow. You will have people who will not be able to eat food because they can't swallow or people who have to excessively swallow all the time. 
it's different for each person. And I realized I didn't tell you about blinking. So with blinking, some of the compulsions would be to, um, obsessively blink, to blink all the time, to worry about their blinking, to think about their blinking. So a lot of times just ruminating can be an issue too. Okay. Moving on. And I'm just going through these really quickly, just to give you an idea. You can, once you start seeing the pattern, you start to understand what sensory motor OCD is in all areas. So peeing and pooping is a big issue at my house with my daughter who has sensory motor OCD related to her peeing. So with peeing, she becomes hyper-focused. Well, we'll talk in general terms. People become hyper-focused on their bladder. And so they feel the pressure on their bladder, even when their bladder is not full. And so there's a sensation that they have to pee all of the time. Um, Conversely, you got the pooping sensation. And so there's pressure on their bum and they feel like they have to poop all the time. I see peeing is more common than pooping, but I just want to mention both. And then the uh, intrusive thought is, what if um, I always have to pee? Do I have to pee? I should go pee. And then when you put the cherry on top of some anxiety thoughts, we have intrusive thoughts that relate to what if I have an accident? What if people make fun of me? What if I smell? Um, What if I get sick because I'm holding my pee? So there's lots of different intrusive thoughts that can, that can be added onto the sensory motor aspect of peeing or pooping. And then the compulsions often tend to be frequent urination, um, a lot of checking behavior. So I'm, I'm pushing on my bladder with my hands. I am pushing on my bladder internally, you know, kind of like tightening my stomach to see if I feel it. Same thing with pooping. So I need to know where there's a bathroom, wherever I go so that I can make sure, um, maybe avoid long trips. I avoid the airport. I mean, avoid the airplane, avoid any place where I'm going to be trapped, where I won't have access to a bathroom. So that's peeing and pooping, heart beating, hyper-focusing on the heart, which actually can cause a lot of panic. And will my heart stop? Is it still beating? Is it, is it racing? Um, so a lot of intrusive thoughts around that. And then you can add some anxiety themes on top of it. Am I having a heart attack? Is my heart okay? Is it healthy? And then some compulsions around heart racing might be to put their hand to their heart, to check their heart, to check their pulse compulsively, um, some things like that. And the last one I'm going to go over is just like location of the tongue. Is my tongue just naturally sitting in my mouth? What's my tongue doing? And so now that I'm hyper-focused on it, I don't know where to put my tongue in my mouth. And I don't know of any compulsions because I haven't really worked with anyone who has a tongue location issue, but I can imagine that the compulsion might be to like touch the tongue or look in a mirror and see where their tongue is placed. I mean, where you can think of it, you can create a compulsion like the imagination. This is why people with OCD are super creative and intelligent and can think out of the box because their OCD can as well. (laughs) So, you know, where there's a will to create a compulsion, the mind can do it. So those are, that's a very quick snapshot of some sensory motor OCD themes, a little bit about the intrusive thoughts and a little bit about the compulsions. Okay. So I don't want to bore you. (laughs) Let's talk about what you do with that and how it manifests. So at my house, we'll talk about me for a little while. Why not? My daughter had some issues with peeing 
Now, when you have a child who is frequently urinating, you want to rule out medical. So I'm going to go into peeing for a little while just to give you some examples. And we'll talk about some of the other ones as well, but just to talk about my own personal struggles and what we did about it and walk you through that, because I know a lot of people to have kids who excessively pee and, and don't know what you do with that. Cause that one is not as obvious as a, an anxiety or OCD theme around bad guys or an OCD theme around germs. It's like, well, my, my daughter has to continually pee. So what do I do with that? Right? So the first thing you want to do is rule out medical. So we went to the pediatrician, even though I was 99.9% sure that it was OCD I went and I ruled out a urinary tract infection or something anatomically wrong with her body or her bladder. And we ruled all of that out. And so she's healthy. It's OCD. And then if your child is having urinary incontinence, so they're having accidents, they're actually having accidents. So they're, they're feeling like they have to go to the bathroom all the time and they are, they're not able to hold it. You want to obviously again, rule out medical, but then you want to look into PANDAS Because PANDAS, one of the symptoms of PANDAS, P-A-N-D-A-S, for those of you that aren't familiar with PANDAS, um, one of the symptoms of that is urinary incontinence and some OCD issues. So you can look at pandasnetwork.org for a list of symptoms and where to go after you have, you know, where to go if you're concerned with that. So I like to rule those out first. And then if you're still like, nope, no medical, nope, no pandas, then we're looking at anxiety or OCD. Now, anxiety can cause somebody to feel like they have to pee all the time. And a lot of times that is only happening when they're nervous. And you can have kind of like a a bladder that's very sensitive and the person is having to pee over and over again. But it becomes an OCD issue when you're your child is so hyper-focused that they, they really can't function throughout the day. So that's, that's a pretty big invasive thought. They're so consumed with having to pee or feeling like they have to pee that they can't, they don't want to leave the house. They don't want to go to school. They don't want to do anything. And they're peeing multiple times an hour. That's when you're looking at some OCD issues with my daughter. It moved pretty quickly into like very pure OCD, where if she was sitting on the couch and she felt like she had that sensation, she didn't want to sit on that side of the couch anymore. Or if somebody else said they had to pee, she would get very anxious and she would avoid that person. Very much like a metaphobia, the fear of throwing up people who, you know, you're around someone who says they're sick, then they want to avoid them. It's similar with people who tend to have sensory motor issues around pee. So what we did with her is, um, we did a lot of work this summer in taking back control. So educating your child again, we're going to talk in general terms about sensory motor stuff. So in general, you know, if you've ever taken my online class on how to parent a kid with OCD, you'll hear me always talk about educate first, right? So, and I also actually say this in the AT parenting community a lot. When I do my classes, I say the first step, no matter what is teach your child. People are afraid to label things for their kids, label it because there's going to be immense relief when they say, Oh my gosh, other people have this. My daughter did not believe me. I said, this is an OCD issue and other people have this exact issue. And she said, mom, no, they don't. And so I had to actually show her one of my kid YouTube videos that I have 
on the urge to pee and how it's an anxiety or OCD thing. And there are all these comments on, in my, on my YouTube channel on that video from kids because it's a kid video. I'll link it below. Um, and I also did a podcast on peeing and I will link that below too. Let me see what episode that was. Actually, I don't think I did an episode on that. So if you ever have a topic or question that you want help with related to anxiety or OCD, if you go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, scroll all all the way to the bottom, there's a search, there's a search field, type it, type your word in because um, that's what I do whenever I'm like, oh, and you should watch this pot. You should listen to this podcast. I just go on my website and I go to the search button and I type in P and then I see what comes up. So, cause I, I get people asking a lot, um, in my Facebook groups, you know, if I have an article or podcast or YouTube video on something and really, I mean, I'm happy to help, but sometimes I miss those, especially in my large, uh, Facebook group, there's over 12,000 parents in there. So that, that group is so active that there is no way I can read every post and thread that goes in that group. Even when people tag me, it's hard to keep up with that along with my private membership group. So it gets very busy, but if you ever need some support, do that because that's what I just did. And I realized I don't have one. So I did do a kid's YouTube video. So if you did go to my website and you type in P you'll find the kid's YouTube video. Um, when anxiety gives you the feeling like you have to pee right after you peed, but I did do a podcast episode on overwiping, but I did not do one on peeing. So there you go. Sorry about that. I'm doing it right now. So, but, um, I don't even know what I was talking about. So I showed her the kids YouTube video and I showed her the comments of all these people going, I have that too. I have that too. And that was, and it, that was the only thing that got her to realize that it is a common issue because I think a lot of kids don't realize that that is an anxiety or OCD thing. So hers turned into OCD because it started to be like things were contaminated. She couldn't sit. If she had that thought, she got so disturbed that like, what if she always has this feeling and she can't get rid of it for the rest of her life? She started to avoid places, avoid, um, you know, avoid leaving the house in the summer. It got so bad that just to get her out of the house was a big deal. And she would say, how long are we going to be, how long are we going to be gone? And will there be a bathroom there? And there's a lot of checking behavior. And then she would physically check. She would check her stomach. She would um, like kind of bear down to see if she had to pee to the point where I was worried she was going to be doing some physical harm to her body. So that's pretty bad. So what we did was we wanted to take the power back from OCD. So first educating your child on what sensory motor OCD is, what OCD is in general. Hopefully they know that if they have OCD. And then with her, basically we want to teach kids how to learn with the discomfort, how to live with the discomfort. And so I try to teach kids in my practice and with my own kids, we're not trying to get rid of this sensation. We're not trying to get you to get rid of you know, noticing your breath or get rid of noticing your bladder or get rid of noticing your swallowing. What we're trying to do is to get you used to it. That when you do notice it, you can sit with that discomfort of, yep, I'm noticing that I'm breathing or I'm noticing that I only swallowed twice in the last sentence, or I notice that my bladder feels very full. We're not trying to get rid of the feeling because we don't have the power to do that. And the more we try to get rid of the feeling, guess what happens? The bigger it grows, right? 
but we're trying to get kids to learn how to live with the discomfort. That's pretty much with OCD in general. That's what we're trying to do. Now, as a side note, most of the time, but not always, the actual sensations go down and that happened to my daughter too, but not always. We're just teaching, but we don't want the anxiety attached to it. That's the component we're really trying to work on. So with her, we started to say, we started to give her P challenges and I started to say, all right, it's 1 p.m. Let's see if you can go until 12 p.m. And at 12 p.m., you can go pee. And so she would go for an hour. And that was really, really hard for her. And then we would do it for two hours. And then we got to the point where I'd say, okay, we're going to leave. And let's see if you can not pee the entire time we're out of the house until we get back home. And so she started to progress in that way. And we started to take the power back. And she started to learn how to live with the discomfort of feeling like she has a full bladder, even though she doesn't. And a lot of kids who have a pee issue will argue, but when I, when I go to the bathroom, I actually do pee. And so maybe I did have to pee. And in my kid's YouTube video, I explain that our bladder is constantly filling up. And so, yeah, it's always, you're always going to pretty much have something in your bladder cup unless you just literally went, but that doesn't mean that you had to pee because most of us don't get the notice that we need to pee until our cup is full or getting very close to full. And you're noticing it when it has a few drops in it. And that's the difference. So we also did some other exposures around just the idea of pee in general. And then we started to keep a journal and she would decide what time she was going to pee next. And so, you know, she'd write down, okay, I peed at one and I'm going to next time I'll try to, I'm going to pee in three hours and then I'm going to pee in four hours. We did try to go pretty far out. And by the time she started school, you know, I was very nervous about it, met with the teacher, talked to the teacher ahead of time about this because it became such a, a big thing last school year that she couldn't really go to school without, you know, crying all the time and going to the nurse all the time. And this school year, knock on wood, that's my wood. My dog's going to start to bark now, <laughs> but she has had zero issue. Now we did start her off on a really, really tiny dose of Paxil, but we started seeing progress with a small dose of Paxil and exposures like right away, which was very fast because normally like medication takes four to six weeks to get in your bloodstream. And she was only on five milligrams for like two weeks. And then we just bumped it up to 10 and that's still a very low dose for OCD. And she is a totally different kid. And so I really feel like it's the combination of her exposures and this small dose of Paxil. So keep your fingers crossed for me. Hopefully the progress will continue because she's having an amazing year and she's a, she's a completely different person. And just yesterday she's like, mom, I went to school and I only peed twice the entire day. That means I'm holding it four hours at a time and I'm not even thinking about it. It's not even bothering me. So that's huge progress. Although I will say we are still going to go back and do exposures because she has a pee contamination thing. And so you still want to make sure that you pull out the bottom part of your weed and not just celebrate because the top part is gone. That is a lot of, um, that's a big issue of what I see in my practice and with parents in general is that sometimes when the front burner issue is, is gone, like it is with my daughter right now, we're just so relieved that we want to celebrate. And so a lot of times we, we forget to do exposures or we are nervous to do them. And I totally get that as a parent, that it seems like a nervous thing to do because 
you don't want to rock the boat. Like the, the boat is finally steady. And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so, so nice. Like, yes, it's nice for my child, but it's also nice for me to not have to worry and feel overwhelmed. Why on earth would I want to do exposures now when she's not even thinking about it? We don't want to be afraid of OCD. So you want to do it even when you're feeling progress, even more so. Now I gave it two weeks. She's been in school. This is her second week. And I'm not going to start doing exposures again until next week because I wanted to give it some time. I wanted to separate the first weeks of school to let her rebound. And then we're going to start doing exposures with her because she's not as worried about having to pee anymore. Um, she doesn't, she can't even watch like pee videos, like cartoons where people are peeing by accident because her core, her core fear was that she might have an accident, even though she never has since she was a toddler, that was her core fear. And so there are many, many different things I can still do for exposures related to that. And I do want to mention really quick, and then I'm going to get into some of the other exposures that you could do with other sensory motor OCD. But I do want to mention really quick that None of this would have been effective with her if I hadn't done rewards. Rewards are very, very important for kids when you're doing exposures because we're asking them to do something really difficult and without much payoff immediately, right? All, all they see is, okay, I do this and you make me feel tortured and then what, right? They're kids. They're not going to see like, well, then you're going to get better. You're not going to have as much OCD, you know, struggles. They're not going to see that. So Best Buy was having a sale on LOL dolls. (laughs) My husband actually found this out because he is an avid reader of the Best Buy sales page on his iPad. And he was like, guess what? LOL dolls are like five bucks at Best Buy. So we went to Best Buy and we filled up a shopping cart (laughs) of LOL dolls because she is really into them right now. And, you know, luckily the cash register guy, like he was just like, oh my gosh, are there any more left? Because I have to get some for my daughter. So I didn't feel like a total freak, but I put them in a big bucket and I put them on top of the refrigerator and she earned tickets towards getting these LOL dolls. And it was highly motivating for her because she wants, you know, she's building up her collection, their blind boxes. So she wants to see which, which ones she's going to get. And then I have not had to encourage her to continue doing exposures because she is so motivated for the prize right now that she is suggesting them. In fact, yesterday, was it yesterday or two days ago? No, I think it was yesterday. It was yesterday. Yesterday at breakfast, she said, mom, I'm going to go in the cafeteria. And I, and I got a little nervous because she hasn't been in the cafeteria for like since the beginning of last school year. And it's a combination because she has celiac disease and she has a fear of embarrassment in large crowds. And so there's all these layers, but we have accommodations where she doesn't have to eat in the cafeteria and we have set it up for the school year as well. And so I didn't want her to push herself too hard where we backslide completely. So I'm like, you don't have to eat in the cafeteria. And she's like, no mom, I want to, I'm going to. And so I was like, okay, well, you would, you would get three LOL dolls for that because that is like, I actually thought we would probably never get her back in the cafeteria or maybe in junior high. Like that's how bad her anxiety is around the cafeteria. And yesterday I got an email from her, te- from her teacher and said, guess what? She went to the cafeteria. And then she like came into the car after school and was like, mom, I went in the cafeteria and I even ate some food, which has been another issue for her. So my point is with telling you all my stories is I, I feel like initially it was the motivation 
for the LOL dolls. And now, like, she didn't even care about the LOL dolls when she asked, when she told me she was going to go in the cafeteria. I threw in the reward after the fact to celebrate her, but she wanted to do it because it made her feel good. So, okay, enough about me. Let's just briefly talk about some of the other ones. So with breathing, um, you can... Mindfulness is actually really helpful for all of sensory motor OCD because we want our kids to actually focus on all of these things. So whether it comes, whether it's breathing, blinking or swallowing or the heartbeat or the location of the tongue, all the other ones that I mentioned, mindfulness is actually a really good exposure tool for sensory motor OCD because we want them to focus on their body and, um, focus on themselves. So body scanning can be helpful where they're scanning from the bottom of their toes all the way up to their, their head of their, the top of their head. That can be helpful because then they're hyper-focusing on different parts of their body. Um, you, for breathing, you can have them sit for like 30 seconds or a minute and focus on their breathing or focus on their blinking or focus on their swallowing, focus on their heart rate. Uh, now there are different ideas for different things. And so sometimes I will have people uh, obsessive, not obsessively, excessively do things. So if they are having a blinking issue, I will have them continuously blink over and over for a minute. And then I'll have them set a timer where they have to excessively blink throughout their day, or we'll do sticky notes where I'll, we'll put around their house. And whenever they see a sticky note, they have to excessively blink. You can also do that for breathing where they have to breathe. Um, and it depends on what the theme is around breathing for different things. If they're afraid they're not going to get enough air, you can have them. Um, I just took a deep breath. <laughs> that was like subconscious. <laughs> you can have them breathe through a straw. You can have them hold one nostril so that there's less breath in, or you can just have them almost like meditate where they're focusing on their in and they're out of their breathing. So with swallowing, you can have them eat chewy foods. You can have them. It really depends on, on the child and what particular issue that they're having. I will have people have to like swallow and drink water like excessively. And so basically what you're doing is when they're, when they're hyper-focusing on these sensory motor aspects of their body, they are trying to control and manage how often they're doing it. And so when you make them do it over and over again, a lot of times they get so annoyed at having to blink or having to um, continually swallow that it it takes away the irritation when they have, when they're focusing on it. And so everything about OCD treatment is like counterintuitive and it's trying to do the opposite of what OCD wants. So if OCD is going to make me worry about how often I'm swallowing, then I'm going to swallow a whole bunch and really annoy OCD. And then OCD is like, Oh my gosh, just stop already. So that can be very effective. So the point of this episode isn't to give you all of the treatment approaches so that you can go do it, but to give you an introduction to what sensory motor OCD is and just some basic ideas on how you would approach it so that you can work with your, your child's therapist at sessions and then know what to do at home as well. And I know a lot of you don't have access to a therapist for tons of barriers, whether you just, there's no OCD therapist in your area because there aren't many of us, unfortunately, or, you know, there's a financial barrier or there's a child barrier because your child won't uh, be willing to go see an OCD therapist. That can be, those can be some pretty big barriers. So that's why I like to give you this information so that 
I can fill your head with knowledge and you don't have to sit there twiddling your thumbs and saying, I don't, I don't have access to any of this when you do. You can listen to all my episodes and you can just binge listen and educate yourself. If you want more education and more specific support, I've got you covered on that as well, because you can always, um, you can always take one of my online classes at anxioustollers.teachable.com. And I walk you through in those classes. So parenting kids with OCD walks you through it. It's like a a class on how to be an expert on OCD. So you'll you'll learn all the themes and you'll learn the approaches and exposures. And then in comments, you can reach me and you can ask for some specific guidance in the class if you're having a hard time coming up with ideas yourself. And if you want ongoing um, support and love and attention, you can always join my AT Parenting Community, which is a membership that you join uh, monthly. And then we do weekly classes. We really get to know each other and you have ongoing support from me in there through the forums and our private, private Facebook group where we all get to know each other. And I pop in every week and do an hour long class on the topics that the students, they're not students, the parents pick. So I hope that you found that helpful. And if you're enjoying the podcast, hit a star on iTunes or wherever you consume your podcast, that is a great way to give back. It lets other people know that you value the show. And if you have a few extra seconds, leaving a review on something that you enjoy about the show is greatly appreciated. And it's appreciated so much that I always end my show reading one of them. So I want to thank Mama Bear with Four Cubs. She wrote a great resource. I really appreciate all that Natasha does to educate and equip parents struggling with parenting kids with OCD and anxiety. I have found her more helpful information and resourceful tools in her podcast than the piles of books I've poured through since beginning my old OCD parenting journey three years ago. She packs a ton of hands-on and helpful information into her episodes and has a huge range of topics. She's a tremendous resource, and I'm so grateful for all that she shares. And I am so grateful for you for taking the time to leave a review. And it's always nice to read those and feel appreciated, but it's even nicer for parents to read that and realize that there's some value in the show because none of us have enough time in the day to do anything We don't want to waste our time listening to podcasts that aren't helpful. So if you have something kind to say, please leave a review and maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Hi, I'm a mom of a daughter with OCD. I live in South Africa um, and it's a country that doesn't have a lot of resources for children's mental health and specifically OCD. I really was at my wit's end on how I'm going to support my child, how I'm going to do ERP, how I'm just basically going to to parent a daughter with OCD in a country that has little to no resources. And at times it got just debilitating for us as a family and I was super lonely, Um, people weren't listening, I didn't have any support. The AT community has been an absolute lifesaver. Natasha has been instrumental in the past few months in helping us set up ERP challenges, going through them step by step, being supportive each and every step of the way. Joining the AT parenting community has been one of the best things I could have done for me and my family. Uh, Natasha has built this community and it is exceptional. I've learned so much, the support is fantastic. It's it's just been life-changing for my daughter. 
Um, it's so nice to be able to ask her live questions in office hours. She's there, she responds. Uh, her live videos every week where she asks us what we need her to talk about. Uh, also her forums, again, where you can ask questions. She's on there all the time. She is very present. The resources she has provided, the worksheets, uh, there are so many things in this AT parenting community that are beneficial. Natasha gives you so much of her time and her expertise. She's there to answer your questions, so it's such a personal way of getting help and support when it's much needed. Personally, the community has helped me because I feel like I needed my support. And then you have the added bonus of this fantastic community of parents who are going through such similar things and suddenly you're empowered and have ways of accessing help and making a real difference to your family. And also just the support of all the other moms and dads, it's really good, you know? We laugh together, we cry together, we fail together, we succeed together, um, and, and everybody gets it. Everybody gets it, and it's such a nice community to be with, and I hope you join us. You won't be disappointed. Try it out. To learn more about how you can become a member of the AT Parenting Community, go to atparentingcommunity.com.